Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Okay, uh, by the show of hands, who considers themselves on their spiritual journey? Go ahead, raise your hand. Go ahead. Right? If you don't, that's fine, too. On a spiritual journey, what the hell does that mean? Spiritual journey. Is that like where you pack the car and get the um, whiskey jello shots ready for a road trip? Um, where's this journey to? This, I mean, spiritual journey. How do you know if you've arrived or not? How do you know? Where Where is your journey taking you? When I, th- when I think back about uh, when my life changed and I got cracked open 25 plus years ago, whatever, I didn't see it as the beginning of my spiritual journey at all. I, I really felt like... Uh, If I were to uh, sense my body, what do I mean by that? For me to, well, you could try this right now if you wanted to. Let's uh, let's just play around with this. How how sensitive are you to how your body feels? So perhaps you're sitting down, perhaps you're not. Uh, uh, Feel your hips. Can you feel your hips? Maybe rock back and forth a little bit. Sure, your skin has nerve endings and you can feel your fanny on the chair. I get that part. But I mean on the inside, on the inside of your body. Can you feel the inside of your hips? When I, like I said, when I first... uh, when I got cracked open and and, uh, if I were to have done that exercise where I tried to feel, tried to sensate inside my body, on the inside, at the core of my body, I wouldn't feel a a flippin' thing. I felt like a 50-pound sack of cold potatoes. In other words, I had no sensation on the inside of my body. I felt like a tadpole, maybe my hands wiggling, had had a sense of, I don't know, energetic awareness or whatever. And fast forward 25 years and I scrub the inside of my persona all the time, all the time, all the time every day, every day. And the clarity I've gotten within my persona, within my body, is very marked and very uh, profound to me. It's, uh, if you think of yourself as a soul, so before your, before your soul incarnated, it was the soul. Here's his personification. 
the soul persona that's metaphorically in line to get a body to incarnate into. Well, before that soul is born, it's a persona in and of itself. It is uh, complete. And then it chooses to be born and it looks at the dynamic and and picks the gender and the in the family household and the belief systems and the opportunities and and decides I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this incarnation, pull the trigger. And now we incarnate into our bodies. Well we all and I imagine we all have a body but the truth of us is not our body, it's the soul that's attached to our body. And so um, the viscosity, I, I use the word viscosity, but you could use the word density. When I, like I was mentioning many years ago, I was very dense. My body was very dense. I had no... I had no awareness of of being able to feel or sensate the inside of my of my body, the inside of my um, physical body. And the more I scrub my persona, it's like my awareness has shifted from my physical body to more of a a soul experience. I am this this uh, soul personification, this soul consciousness that is animating my body. If that thread breaks, my body returns to earth and my soul steps out of the incarnate experience. So the truest aspect of myself is my soul because it's there if I'm incarnate or not. My soul is perhaps the most fundamental aspect of myself and and it's my soul connection that animates my body. So if I sit here now and I and I have this conscious awareness, I suggest this, the, the, the consciousness that my ego runs on, so to speak, is fed to me by my connection to divine consciousness. And you might think of that as your soul being the portal. Your soul is, on one end of your soul, you have your ego, and on the other end of your soul is divinity or source consciousness, perhaps. You could think of it as a portal. Why am I saying all of this? Well, for tonight's show, of course. <laughs> um, uh, uh, one housekeeping thing I don't want to slip my mind. Next week, for the first time in the history of the show, we're going to be doing the show from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California. Next week's episode will be from Los Angeles, California, and I'm looking forward to that. Let's get to it. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. 
Tonight's show is called Sacred Massage, and our guest tonight is Deborah D'Angelo. Sacred Massage is the name of her latest book, The Magic and Ritual of Soothing Touch. When, when um, you know, in, in Harry Potter, there's, uh, there's an owl that bring in post, postage to the window. You know, you look out the window and there's an owl and it's got a letter or whatever. Well, I have a book owl. Books just show up at my house. They it they just do. There's sometimes it's a single book, sometimes it's a box of books, and typically they're from publicists that want to have their authors on the show. And and when I saw this book, Sacred Massage: The Magic and Ritual of Soothing Touch, what I really liked about it was the focus of our consciousness on our bodies, to put our attention on our bodies, and then to add to that the element of soothing touch. When we talk about a spiritual journey, to bring our bodies along, so to speak, Like we're we're gonna forget and leave them somewhere. Have you seen my body? No, no. Um, to bring our body in the spiritual journey of of our life, I think to have an element of touch. I mean, it could be a sensual thing like tantra and intimate touch. But tonight's not about that. It's about sacred massage, the magic and ritual of soothing touch. I think we should get to the episode because I think we're going to have plenty to talk about. Again, the topic tonight is sacred massage, and our guest tonight is Deborah D'Angelo. Sacred massage, the magic and ritual of soothing touch. To learn how therapeutic, therapeutic touch heals body and mind through thoughtful touch, your hands can provide relaxation and relief to family and friends. With a variety of ailments from headaches to PTSD, Deborah introduces you to massage through the lens of spirituality, magic, and ritual. In addition to physical techniques, she teaches you how to infuse a session with divine love and channel your healing energy into another person. Sacred Massage guides you through preparing your ritual space, creating an altar, altar, grounding, centering, setting intentions, inviting the elements and more. Discover how to utilize meditation, herbs, crystals, essential oils, candles, and deities for deeply spiritual sensation. Filled with, the book is filled with instructional graphics and accumulating into a full body massage sequence. This easy to understand book provides everything you need to create a magical experience. 
Our guest tonight has been a massage practitioner for more than 20 years. She runs her own private practice where she incorporates spiritual techniques into every session. In addition to developing her own method called the blended deep Swedish massage using sacred soothing massage, she has also worked with hot stone, Ayurvedic, reflexology, Reiki, and other massage styles. Join me in welcoming Deborah to the show. Deborah, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. What a wonderful introduction. I, I already feel all warm and fuzzy about myself. <laughs> thank you. That's the whiskey talking. I thought we weren't going to talk <laughs> about that. Oh, <laughs> shucks. Well, what a what a nice book you've you've written here. I mean, it's quite evident that your twenty years experience with massage is it has been infused on the pages because um, the the graphic diagrams and the and the understanding, if you will, of of how how massage works, so to speak, and it. Um, I, I really like how it's it's set up for the layman, and yet there's quite a bit of material there. So even if you're experienced at massage somewhat, that uh, this book will help you understand it at a deeper level. So what made you write a book about sacred massage? Well, I had just finished my second book, Pagan Curious, and... I, I'm a firm believer in write what you know. What do you know best? And, and my first book I wrote about horses because I know about horses. My second book I wrote about my own personal journey on the pagan path. It's very eclectic and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I thought, what else do I know about? I know about massage. And... um that book evolved during the whole COVID situation when it was difficult for people to get out and get a massage or to connect to others. And, you know, I, I, I had people say, you know, oh, I need a massage so much. But, but during COVID, that wasn't possible. And I started thinking how um, we could all learn basic techniques. We don't have to be professional level, but we can all learn really basic and very soothing techniques and when you combine it with a spiritual mindset and spiritual energy you can provide that healing session and I I'm a firm believer in getting massage every week but I know that um, it the cost of it puts it out of reach for many people sometimes people don't live near a massage therapist they may be out in a rural area or they may also be um, confined in a nursing home or it could be a situation with a child that um, maybe has autism spectrum disorder and, and getting out to go to an appointment can sometimes be an ordeal. And I started thinking about all these barriers people have to this most basic um, life-enhancing experience, and I thought there, there shouldn't be a barrier. You know, in, in India... Uh, massage is accepted as just something family members can do for each other. It's, it's part of life. It's considered a health maintenance practice. And um, America's 
way, way behind on that angle because so many people still view massage as um, it's just fluff or it's a treat, you know, maybe on my birthday, but they don't view it as necessary to maintain your own health. But when you start getting regular massage, you really notice the changes it brings. And so um, the the sacred and magical angle, um, I discovered the pagan past around about the same time I discovered massage school. So the two things evolved in my life concurrently. And over time, I started realizing that I do in a massage directly parallels a magical ritual. It's like we ground and center, we have an intention, we implement what we're doing, and then we release it for a manifestation. And um, that that was sort of the thing, the little light that went on in my head. And I went, well, what I do in ritual, I could also do in massage. I can I can bring in the elements. I can bring in deity. I can bring in mantras and blessings and and quatrains, you know, whatever I want to suit that person. And it just really elevated the whole experience to the next level where it wasn't just a physical thing I'm doing with a person's body. Now it's a whole comprehensive, complete experience. And I feel like I'm, besides just soothing muscles and tendons, I'm also using them spiritually. And I like to see people just completely relax and sort of drift out. They they always leave in a much different space than how they arrived. Right. Well, um, so if you did massage before adding the spiritual component and and you think about how those episodes, those sessions were and then you bring in a the a spiritual component and intention and the focus of your consciousness as a vehicle of sacred massage how did your sessions change i mean from your client's perspective did did you notice a a shift or a change in how they experienced your sessions i i think it's very subtle most of my clients have been with me for almost my full 23 years. (laughs) Some of them started back then and just kept coming. So I knew I had a physical ability to do it. But I think maybe over the years I've I've noticed people are much more able to sink down quietly and, and be in their own internal space and experience. And I know for myself where my head is at is much different now than when it was 20 years ago 20 years ago I was thinking about technique and procedure and uh, muscles and tendons under the skin and how to work them and what might I do next Um, thinking more like maybe a doctor or a surgeon what do I do with this material here versus now it's it's the whole person it's it's their energy it's um, their body it's how they feel emotionally you know sometimes people want to vent things during a massage and if they want to do that that's fine and if they want to be still and go to sleep that's fine whatever they need emotionally kind of gets packed onto the whole experience like a little caboose you know it's it's not just me working on your body um my goal is that everyone feels like 
they are certainly my only client in the whole world. Certainly I couldn't see anybody else because I feel so special and so taken care of. And so I I really strive now to focus on the idea that when you're spending this hour with me, you're completely safe. And for a lot of people who have a traumatic background, especially if you've been physically or sexually abused, to to evolve into a, a calmness where you can feel completely safe in someone's hands, you could even close your eyes and sleep, is such a relief for people to feel that way. You know, and, and the world can be quite a scary place. And so sometimes just having the hour to feel completely safe knowing that no matter what's going on, this person is going to be here to, to keep me safe and calm and everything will be okay. So there's quite a huge emotional, psychological, spiritual component to it when you have a relationship with a massage therapist that you trust versus, you know, massage table hopping from trying this one to trying that one and never developing a relationship. So I would say the spiritual component has um, cultivated a unique relationship with each person. I don't do the same thing with each person. I don't interact the same way with each person. Each one's unique. So um, it's evolved from the technical skill to the whole comprehensive package. (laughs) Right. Well, after 2020, I think uh, there's a whole new layer of stress, new layer of angst, new layer of uh, worry and fret in the collective. And uh, and massage as a as a long-term tool or or um option if if I, the listener, have only thought about massage like you talked about on my birthday or a special, a, you know, a special treat for myself, how does, you, you've, you have that long-term experience with clients and, and perhaps some of those clients didn't intend a long-term relationship, maybe they're, they um, tweaked their back and they just wanted one or two, but they kept coming. What I'm looking mm-hmm. for here is your wisdom and your your experience of a long-term relationship with getting uh, massages on a regular basis and fold it into more of a, a regular um, part of your life. How does... How do people change when they have that long-term exposure to massage? Well, on the physical level, um, it keeps your tendons much softer, so you have more flexibility. It keeps your muscles from tightening up chronically. Um, For example, let's say you're hunched over a computer keyboard all day or you drive a truck all day. Certain muscles get overused and chronically fatigued. And the thing is, uh, our our brains learn to tune chronic pain out to some extent. If it's not that severe, if it's just more of a discomfort, you'll, you'll start to adapt to having a certain amount of discomfort in your body and your brain will just view it as normal. 
And then you go see a massage therapist and you go, oh, my goodness, my shoulders are aching or my, my glutes are painful or, you know, that my arms and legs are so painful. Like, painful. How did that happen? So we sort of become unaware of how our body feels, which is a little bit like what you were talking about in the introduction. Um, you start to just accept that this feels tight and that feels bad and it feels normal to have my chest all hunched over. And when you release all those muscles and tendons, and it doesn't happen in one session, I think that's one of the big fallacies is people will go have a massage and expect to be completely better the next time. And it's not like that. It's it's a maintenance thing, just like going to the gym. If you go to the gym one time, you're not going to develop muscles. It, it, it requires ongoing uh, dedication to it. And so your body, it's funny. Now, I practice what I preach. I see a massage therapist every week myself. When I'm getting close to my own appointment, I become hyper aware of everything that's hurting. <laughs> it's like all is <laughs> getting to my massage appointment because that will take care of it. And when people have the experience of, wow, this chronic pain I've had in my back is so much better, or I can turn my head now when I'm I'm backing up, or you know my my legs don't ache all the time. When you when you have the experience of not having the chronic pain, it's it's very much a release and then you know over time if you do have a good relationship with a massage therapist the therapist that you trust you also recognize that for you know for an hour every week whatever's bugging me i can just leave it you know i can put it outside and just clear my head for a little while and you know sometimes people will be really wound up about something and i'll say just imagine if you're having a thought say, yep, that's a thought, and you put it in a little car, a cute little car, and go, and swipe it away. And your thoughts will be there for you when you get back. Or sometimes I'll say, put the thought in a nice pink balloon and just let it float away to the universe, and you can have it later. And it's funny, you know, when we're stressed out or we're obsessing about this problem or that situation, um, it's, it's like oh, I can have permission to not think about that for for an hour. I can let it go. And and the weird part is sometimes when you stop working on a a thought so hard, you'll be lying there, relaxed, kind of drifty. You know, you go into a drifty space in a massage, and a different answer will come to you or a different perspective. And um, I think that's also a release to people. Sometimes people come in and for the first 10 minutes, they just need to purge all those things that are bothering them. And I, I, fine, I will listen. And whatever you say here is the same as if you told a counselor, this is where it stays and you can feel safe about that too. So, so there is a, an emotional component to it as well. And, um, you start to realize, like like you mentioned during COVID, you know, it was a stressful time. Brand new stresses nobody ever imagined. And sometimes what we need when we're stressed or when we're grieving or when we're hurting isn't really an, a solution or an answer, but we just need somebody to hold us and touch us and and reconnect to our bodies, like you were saying. You know, it, it's really easy to get 
in the habit of living your whole life from the neck up. Right. And being very unaware of what's happening from the neck down. You know, I'm I'm up in my head. Well, meanwhile, my heart's palpitating and my breathing is shallow and my stomach's upset and my shoulders are hunched over and they hurt and I'm grinding my teeth and um it it is just like you were saying. You 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 ha- you, you lose track of all the things that are happening in your body that are stress-related. And my belief is that if you have a routine where you know I can go and and release all of that, it takes the pressure off, you know, like you're taking the pressure off a boiling pot. And then you start to reevaluate, you know, are these things necessary? Are these things important? And it's funny, you know, over the course of many years, I do see people decide to make different choices and, Maybe the job that was bothering them is not the best job for them, or maybe their living situation isn't optimal and they should change. And um, I've also had people who were deeply grieving that lost family members or had had severe uh, life-changing surgeries. And there's there's a grief sometimes with a surgery. You know, you have a loss of a function or or the feeling of loss of of youth and control. And they've worked through it, you know, um, little by little, just having that that hour each week to, to let it all go. And if there's tears, there's tears. And if if there's anger, there's anger. But most of the time, it's just peaceful. Most people just, they just want to sleep, just slip into that space. We call it golden slumber. And um, the golden slumber stage is you're completely relaxed and your mind is drifting you're not trying to think of anything there may be thoughts drifting in and out randomly and if I spoke to you you'd answer but you might also feel like you're asleep it's this wonderful neither here nor there drifty sleepy space and I just to me when I can get in that space it's the most healing wonderful space in the whole world (laughs) and I it's my hope Yes, go ahead. Well, um, it it got me thinking uh, uh, many moons ago, I hosted men's groups. And uh, there's a curious thing that happened with men's groups. I mean, there was one aspect called the talking stick. And the idea of the talking stick is that Whoever's holding the flipping stick can talk. Everybody else shut the up. Shut up and listen to whoever's got the talking stick. And what I noticed was we'd get these new new guys showing up and we'd pass the stick around and we'd all take turns and when you hold when you've got the stick you can say whatever the whatever you want. And what I really noticed was it's not the first time or the second time or the third time or even the fourth time that you hold the stick. But what happens is the first, those first few times, there's an aspect of your consciousness that's evaluating if it's safe to really say what you want to say. Because it, it seemed invariably after after making the rounds, a whole different conversation came up. And and I think it really hinged on 
um, the person is able to express a hundred percent of a thought without being interrupted. And, and that in and of itself was pay dirt because we'd start hearing stuff coming out of these men's mouths that I'm sure we never would have heard at the bar or playing football at the park. So my question to you is, a lot of times our body has an intelligence. Our body has this fight or flight awareness of our environment. And when you see people over an extended period of time, do you notice the body, the person's body saying, oh, we're with Deborah. Oh, we're, we're in Deborah's space now. Oh, we're safe. After three or four episodes or whatever, do you notice a shift in how the body of the client responds? Oh, absolutely. The, the first time I lay my hands on a, on a client, I always start with my hands on the back. Um, I lay my hands in the middle of the back. Um, I do Kuan Yin's dedication on Mani Padme Om and bring her in. And the very first time, I can tell people are paying close attention to what's happening. What's this going to feel like? And what, what's going on here? They're still guarded. And they're right. still observing. But right. people, who know, people who know me and have been coming for a long time, the minute I put my hands on their back, a lot of times they'll exhale or go, ah. You know, that, that, that touch, that first touch, immediately, it's like, their whole, their whole system responds, and um, I think you know we have we have muscle memory. I think I think the person's body also has a memory. Oh, these hands are warm and strong, and I'll be safe. And whatever I'm tensed up about, I don't have to be tensed up about. I I imagine that over time there's a parasympathetic nervous system response to the touch, that it triggers it just sort of like the reverse of Pavlov's dogs, you know, that that touch, the, the your nervous system says, ah, I can I can relax. Um, there, there's a whole loop of what happens with touch. So you have all over your body these things called Pacinian corpuscles, and all they do is detect touch. And when they're pressed, you know, not not too much, just that Goldilocks kind of pressure, they trigger to the vagus nerve, hey, we can relax. It's all good. And then the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, which is what slows everything down. And it's it's kind of a closed loop, but it begins with those Pacinian corpuscles. See, it sounds so much less magical when we get into the physiology. <laughs> but uh, those Pacinian corpuscles detect that pressure and say oh we're being touched it's all good and um so there's actually you know while i would like to say i'm super magical and um it's my excellent excellent spell work it's actually got a huge physiological component because the body can be conditioned just like you can be conditioned to jump at a certain sound or react to a certain sensation you can also be uh, physically conditioned to when you feel a certain um, trigger, oh, I can relax now. Sort of, 
if, if you can imagine, sort of like when you sink into a warm bathtub, you just kind of go, ah, I know this feeling. This is good. That's sort of like when you sink into your massage, that first slipping into the warm bathtub, everything is good and safe here. So when uh, when a client comes over an extended period of time, do you notice um, their awareness of their body changing? So maybe the first time they come in, they're wound up tighter than a cheap watch, and they <laughs> they can't really sensate anything in their body. And then fast forward um, many many episodes, and they come in and they're talking about their body. They're talking about you know what I mean? I mean, does their connection mm-hmm. with their body become more of a ongoing thing throughout their day? Oh, I think absolutely. Because, um, like I said, when you have chronic stress in your body and chronic pain and you adapt to it and your brain uh, labels that as a normal feeling, when you have the experience of not having that anymore, it's sort of like your body's all clear, like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel. And when people learn what that feels like, they start to recognize, okay, I'm tensing my shoulders up again, or I got that pain in my jaw again. Oh, I'm I'm clenching my teeth. I think people do become much more aware of what they're doing because we talk about that too. Like sometimes people will say, well, you know, I have this problem with this aching in my shoulders. and I And one thing I notice, and I think this is a, a um, posture that's self-protective. But when you roll your shoulders forward and cave in your chest, sort of like you're caving in around your heart, um, its muscles shorten and your back muscles stretch when you do that over and over and over. And one of the things I tell people with chronic back pain, I'll say, lift your shoulders up, roll them back, and and. Feel, like you were saying, feel your shoulder blades inside your back. You're saying, you know, to, to think about the sensations inside your body. So feel your shoulder blades and then imagine sliding those shoulder blades down your back and into your back pockets. And like you were saying, you, you can be aware of, oh, those are my shoulder blades moving up and down these muscles. I can lift them up and put my shoulder blades in my back pocket. Like, okay, now... Your back is nice and straight. Now, to open your chest, I tell people, imagine at your sternum, there's a big helium balloon, and it's lifting your chest up to the sky. So with your shoulder blades in your back pocket and your sternum lifted, it's like all of a sudden your whole rib cage is open and you can breathe. And when you can breathe again, that has a whole calming effect. It, it, it's good for your blood pressure. It's good for your circulation. It's good for your heart and lungs. Um, it's good for your spine. So so people that have certain physical issues, a lot of times I'll discover that something they're doing in their life is making it worse. And we'll talk about how to interrupt that and make it different. But, but the shoulders slumping over and the chest caving in is a chronic thing that I see all the time. And people will say, well, my, the front of my chest hurts. And well, it's because look, look how you're standing. You're curved all over, all <laughs> on top of yourself. So those are those are my two um, freebie quickie tricks. Roll your shoulder blades into your back pocket and put a balloon on your sternum. And I think most people will immediately feel a sense of relief. Like, 
my heart and my lungs are nice and open now. I can breathe. <laughs> well, very nice. A lot, a lot of times we're thrust into uh, challenging situations, um, like perhaps uh, a family member dies that that was that had responsibility, and now that defaults to you or mm-hmm. um, um, you're displaced and you have to, um, you take on stress, you take on responsibility, and you have to go into, you know, hunker down mode and slug through it all. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of the check engine light. You know, it, you're driving in your car yeah. and... And the check engine light comes on, but I don't have time to mess with that right now. And yeah. and you just and you keep slugging through it. Well, if your body once your body accumulates so much um, unresolved uh, um, issues, so to speak, and you go numb, you can your body can't even communicate to you when there's a new problem because it, your body's numb. You're you're disconnected right. from your body, and and so it's it's Go ahead. to 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 take the time and and really bring your attention back into your body, and and that's not a uh, a quick thing if if you're really loaded up. To take the time and reconnect with your body can can. Um, make you aware of when your body's telling you something right now through the Mm -hmm. feeling of your body that you never would have felt before. Do you notice uh, people's relationship with their health uh, creating like a new vitality or a new self-sustaining awareness as they reconnect? I see lots of people making better health choices. And I think what it stems from is you have to decide if you deserve to have a massage every week. If if you underneath it all think, well, I don't deserve that, it's, 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 you know, a frill, and I don't really deserve it. When you get to a point in your life where you say, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to feel good in my own body. Um, I think that's sort of key because, um, you know, you mentioned your body – absorbing all this stress well you can you can uh, you can ignore your body for a while you can get away with it around midlife you can get away with it much less but if you continue to ignore when your body whispers and says hey i'm stressed you know i've got a, a, a afib going on here my heart's pounding you continue to ignore your body when it whispers you will hit a point in your lifespan where your body will yell and that's when you have, you know, the first heart attack or the first ulcer. But and, and here your body's been telling you for years, this is stressful to me, this is stressful to me, I'm I'm not doing well, you know, and, and we tend to um, grab the antacids or grab the painkillers or grab a glass of wine or whatever it is we do to um, relieve the symptom, but it doesn't relieve the situation. You know that that those symptoms are sort of your body's little cries for help. That something's not quite right here. And I think that people that decide that they deserve to feel healthy take their own health seriously. And 
you know, they start to ask, do I need to be in this situation or not? And um, do I need to make a change or not? Um, some things that are so simple, like like when you're anxious, do you do you grab hold of things so hard that you're causing strain in your hands? I, I'm guilty of that one. <laughs> I had to go to hand therapy and uh, gripping hold of things, she said, the therapist said, you know, you don't really need to hang on to it that hard. And it was like an epiphany. I hang on to the shopping cart like it's going to rock it off into space. She says, you can relax your hands. You can just place them on the cart. You don't have to grab it like it's going to escape, you know. So you're never too old to learn when you're doing something that subconsciously causes your body stress. And I think as people come and have massage regularly, they start feeling good. And so when something does break down or something's not quite right, they're much more aware because they've learned not to tune those things out. Um, so it's just much more than the massage itself. It changes your own relationship and experience within your own body. Nice. So your book, Sacred Massage, now correct me if I'm wrong, this book is for people the the client i mean to learn about the techniques of massage so right. it, it it's not really a certification program to become a oh, license no. this is yeah. for joe public jane public it's to for joe public well jane too i mean um thank you thank you yeah the, the but, purpose but, of the book is to learn to do these techniques so that you could provide them to a loved one, a friend, a child, a parent. But if you need massage, and let's say your best friend says, you know, I need massage too, you could take this book and learn in tandem and then trade. Will you do the massage one the first time and I'll, t- I'll be the second, and then you take turns being first and second. But um, it's a way, <coughs> excuse me, to bring access to massage into your life if you don't have access, either because of finances or or your living situation. But you can learn enough in this book to be able to provide a very soothing, restful, peaceful massage to somebody else that you care about. Um, and no, it doesn't, you won't come out of this book with any sort of legal certification to do anything. You can't charge money for it. Um, you can't say you're a massage therapist, <clears throat> but I'll bet you some people will discover, you know, I'm really good at this and I like it. I think I want to go to massage school. And hallelujah, the world needs more massage therapists. I wish there was one. Of, there should be as many massage therapy offices in my town as there are churches. I would be happy right. with that race. Well, the, <laughs> now, <laughs> there, <laughs> well our, our human body our human body in our culture, I mean, um, we have some really dark shadow um, stigmas towards our body. Um, mm-hmm. And if and if Joe Public or Jane Public gets this book, and and now it's it's um, it there's physical touch all over the body. Is there a is it uh, is there an element of of I don't know shame or this seems weird or 
I mean, is it okay to touch? I mean, I would imagine it would draw up some some insecurities or perhaps stigmas from the past. How do you cope with that? that that's a very valid point because we are so touch-averse in this society where the way we are now to hug somebody, you know, is met with skepticism to touch somebody's back or shoulder is viewed as, you know, um, a sexual um, assault. And it's like we're just paranoid about touch at all. Add into that the shame we feel about our own bodies because we're told from birth that we need to look like the people in the magazines and 98% of us don't. And people do worry, well, I don't, I don't want a, a massage therapist to touch me because I'm too fat or I'm too this or I'm too that. And to a professional massage therapist, bodies are just a whole cornucopia of different types. And um, you can let go of that stigma, which in itself might be really relieving to say, wow, this person's willing to touch me and I'm okay. And they're, they're, they're not disgusted. It's like, nope, I pretty much have seen it all. <laughs> nope, it's fine. You're fine just the way you are. In your, the body that you're in right now is just fine. But um, for those who are uneasy with touch, you know, you can begin small. You don't have to do a full body massage right out of the gate. You can, you can start with just the scalp or just the hands. Those things don't even require you to take clothing off or the feet. Um, you can start there. And, and that's the thing about this book. There's no compulsion to make you go any faster than you're comfortable if you want to spend three months just doing the hands and you feel good about that, then that's what you do. There's no, there's no schedule to keep and um, nobody's going to judge you. And, and frankly, you should wait until you feel comfortable touching someone before moving on. And um, I, I think it comes through doing. Even those of us who went to massage school, the first day in massage school, everybody's apprehensive. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to touch strangers, and strangers are going to touch me. Well, you know, four or five days in, all that fear just goes away. Because even though everybody's unskilled and we're all learning together, you start to discover, oh, my goodness, massage is the most wonderful thing ever. <laughs> and and that's sort of also why I wrote the book. I think I think we could be so much happier and healthier if we had regular access to massage, if we if we viewed it like they do in India, that this is necessary for life, bringing home a new baby, for example, there are gentle infant um, massage techniques you can use to help the baby soothe and to calm and to sleep. And there's there's a different way to hold the baby and, and work with the baby. And you know, you you're a feather light touch, like you're you're working with with a bubble. And imagine these poor parents that come home, and I was one once, and the baby's crying, and they don't know what to do, and so you end up rocking and jiggling and walking and driving through the car. But you you might try infant massage and see if that works, because just like a grown up person, the infant will also quickly recognize, oh, when she places her hand on my tummy. Now we're going to relax my legs. She's going to make my feet feel better. You know, they're not thinking in words yet at this point. But even an infant can recognize, oh, this is what happens next. I can I can relax and stop crying for a minute. Um, sometimes infants cry because they're just 
especially when they're they're newborns, it's just too much stimulation. You know, they've been in the nice safe womb and to feel cold air or to hear sounds, it's a lot it's a lot of incoming information. And to be able to soothe, they haven't learned to soothe themselves yet. But imagine if you learn to do this for your baby and how great that would be. And it would be great for the grandmothers and the caretakers. You know, mom or dad can learn, this is this is how I do this. And then you teach those skills to the next person. So there's just like so many ways to make massage useful in your life and make everybody's life better. So I'm, I know I'm on a soapbox here about it, but I, I really do think it's the best thing. <laughs> Well, you've come to the right place for a soapbox. <laughs> you know, the I, I think we're suffering, I don't know if suffering's a word, but maybe it is, um, of life in the fast brain. I mean, it seems like everybody's <laughs> moved up in their head and mm-hmm. and our minds are going 900 billion trillion miles an hour as we scroll through social media and read the headlines and and our brains are trying to interpolate all this information that we're being bombarded with and yet i mean i i I worked in broadcast tv and and we have these things called antennas and we have very very big antennas and they they're used to transmit and receive energy or information. Um, it seems like the collective would really uh, benefit if we would all reconnect to our bodies as a moment by moment antenna telling us how we're experiencing our environment and our body would be that vehicle, that antenna, because I think there's an innate wisdom in our bodies that can interpret a situation or information at a completely different level than the ego. And so I'm I'm really quite delighted to have this episode with you uh, talking about sacred massage to, as a vehicle to help us reconnect with our body. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast, and now it's time <laughs> to put attention on you. Tell us about your books, where to get your books. Now, Deborah, we would we'd probably need to know where you live to come and get a massage. That would be helpful. <laughs> I'm, I'm in... A funny named county, Yolo County, California. I'm in Northern California. And um, I have a website, DebraDiangelo.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Threads and Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook and Instagram, I have a, a special extra page. It's called Garden Variety Pagan. And that's my page where everything's strictly about my pagan world, my books, um, what workshops I'm doing. Um, and the others are more generic because I had this long history as a journalist and I had these other pages from before, you know, and little by little they're kind of merging. But if you want only to know about uh, the books and my pagan stuff, that's on the Garden Variety Pagan pages. Um, you can contact me through my website, 
I also have a page, an author page on Amazon and the Llewellyn page, uh, the uh, Llewellyn's website. And my books are available in both places. They're often in metaphysical stores near you and sometimes plain old bookstores near you. Um, they're, they're really easy to get. I also um, teach for University Magicus, which is an online school. It's very eclectic, and we have this wonderful stable of, of people that teach everything you can imagine. Those classes are on Zoom, and I teach usually every other Monday at 6 o'clock Pacific time. And anybody can come to those classes. They mostly focus, however, on um, pagan lifestyle things, and I tend to specialize with beginners. I have a particular love for beginners, for people that feel apprehensive or unsure of themselves. I, I just I, – I, I like to think of myself as the Walmart greeter to the pagan community. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> in here. It was wonderful. Join the party. And I think just because I wish someone had done that for me, I wish it didn't have to be so hard to find my tribe way back when. So I I just love putting people at ease and, and saying, yeah, you fit in here. It's all good. Come on in. So um, that's that's how to find me. Well, very nice. Um, do, you, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Uh, mainly just that I, I just really appreciate people stopping to think about um, what do I need to do to be healthy from the neck down? You know, we, um, we haven't changed much since Paleolithic times. The body is still what it was 10,000 years ago, and it didn't evolve being able to cope with all this noise and stress and input and screams and electronics, we still have the same old paleolithic brain and body doing all these modern things. And of course, we're all stressed out and having health problems. So, you know, massage is one way to, to reconnect with that part of yourself, that, that wisdom that's been in your body, you know, going back 10,000 years. It's in your DNA to know how to relax and pay attention to your body. We just forgot along the way. Well, very nice. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've really enjoyed this episode. Me too. We've been talking with Deborah D'Angelo about her latest book, Sacred Massage, The Magic and Ritual of Soothing Touch. You know, it's uh, it's, it's a curious thing. How do, um, how do you... How do you move laterally? Uh, if you were think, if you were to think of your karmic experience right now, I mean, well, maybe we could do it this way. Imagine a thousand total random people in a gymnasium, and we, you pass everybody out a blank piece of paper and a pen, and you say, "Okay, write down on this piece of paper." maybe 10 questions. Is life easy? Is it hard? Is life dangerous? Is it safe? Is And, and, and just really general questions to try to capture the attitude or perspective of all the individuals. And so a thousand people do that. And then you go and you, you put those uh, papers all along the wall, all the way around the gymnasium, and you yourself go
go walking around and read all these other people's pieces of paper. You know, well, well, life is, you know, life is hard. And, and you might not have written that down. And you can't relate to what you're reading. And that's the important part. What I'm looking for here is in a spectrum, there's, there's a, a plus and then back to center and then a minus and back to center. And it's like, uh, well, well, take uh, take the idea of your personal relationship with the idea of power, the idea of power. What does power mean? So if you think of the pendulum hanging in the middle, it's neither left or right. It's neither plus or minus. And so say we drag it up to the right. And this is an iconic, an iconic relationship with power. So power is defined by the icon of me. I've got this $10,000 suit on. I drive this, you know, half a million dollar sports car. I'm the CEO of the, the big ass company up on the hill. It's an iconic representation of power. So when I visually observe this persona, the icon, the image, the visual is telling me that it's a powerful um, persona. Now I bring the pendulum back down the center and I bring it up on the other side and, and maybe this is a homeless person that wears a different coat every winter and has no place to call home and there's nothing in their life that is continuous. There's no icon to hang any metaphorical hat on. It's the polar opposite, if you will, the polar opposite of the iconic idea of power. Well, in my opinion, they're both stuck. Spectrum, as far as the spectral location, their identity is anchored in a in a rigidness in the spectrum of possibilities. Right? They're both stuck. And and the real power is to so so perhaps on on the right the iconic uh display of power how would that person feel if uh they're on a boat and it tipped over and all their clothes were lost and they had to wear just jumpsuits until they could get back to civilization would that be karmically would that personification say wait a minute i'm out of the context that i understand my power to be in right so there's a karmic stigma if they can't see themselves anywhere else on the spectrum and still know their truth. If they have to have the iconic symbols, mechanisms to reinforce to their brain their sense of self, then they're karmically attached. There's a karmic stigma attached to that, to that part of the spectrum. And likewise, if you walk up to a homeless person and have this dry clean suit and, and spiffy shoes, 
they might not be able to identify with it at all, or they might be able to just toss it on and not blink an eye. When we when we hold a stigma, when we hold a place in the spectrum and we declare our space the correct space, and over on the other side of the spectrum, we declare that to be the taboo or shadow of who we are, the, the polar opposite, if we put judgment on that, we're creating the standing wave of energy in our psyche, and that creates a karmic propensity. So back to this idea of being in a gymnasium, and you're walking around the room, and you're looking at all these these polarizations, these people who have a very consistent experience with, quote, reality, unquote. Oh, yeah, life is very hard. I've been, I grew up in a foster home. I've been abused all my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to that person, that's as true as true can be. But if you look over across the proverbial spectrum and uh, there's somebody living out the scenario where life is easy. Well, things come to me naturally. I intuitively make good choices, et cetera, et cetera. That would, that's what I mean by looking laterally, to karmically look laterally outside of your own context. So if you were to sit down with a piece of paper and write the four or five pet peeves of how you experience life. Um, and you write those down, and, and these are stigmas that you're experiencing, and that, and it puts you in some place on this this proverbial or metaphorical spectrum of karmic experiences. Right? So to be, in my perspective, to be a powerful person is to be able to shift your experience laterally. If you're finding life to be difficult, to, trans, to transmute or transform that experience, and I mean organically, down to your every cell in your body, not a, a superficial you know, fake it till you make it. But I mean to literally shift your karmic experience from from what you want to, uh, what you're struggling with, to to move it laterally through the center point of the spectrum to the other side, which is what your ego might desire for your life, right? That's that that lateral traversing of of the spectrum of karmic experiences. That's the Kool Aid I'm interested in. That's the stuff I like to write about. That's the stuff. I mean, that's that's really the premise of the show is to bring on modalities and ideas to help us traverse what we don't per, per se want or desire about our life and to be able to shift all of the 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 our spectral markers if you will our karmic tendencies if you will 
to loosen them up and get every pendulum or every needle to flow lucidly and untethered, unattached. So if if we are in the spiffy upper crust with high class clothes and and the and the boat wrecks and and now we're on a deserted island with jumpers, our psyche doesn't change at all. In other words, nothing outside of us is required for us to see the truth of ourselves. If if the truth of me is mirrored back to me as an iconic reflection of the accumulation of power, and when I, when I can't see that outside of me, I can't recognize myself as a powerful person, then I have a karmic stigma. To really, truly, genuinely be free is to have every, we talked about 10 questions we write down on the piece of paper, to have every single one of those spectrums, that that spectrum of, of possibilities to become um, loosened and lucid and we're not, we have no stigmas or rigidness in our experience over time, but we're literally a dynamic, lucid um, persona that can uh, come into a whole collage of experiences that we might not have expected, but we stay grounded. I think Bruce Lee talked about being like water, and that's I think that's really a, a, a nice metaphor of what I'm talking about. We're, we're, we're lucid in our sense of self in that no matter what happens to us, we don't have a karmic, um, a karmic consequence uh, because we have an attachment or uh, perhaps we feel stuck in an un- undesired karmic stigma, if that makes sense. Does this make sense? Raise your hand if it makes sense. Now we're back. We were raising our hand at the beginning, and now we're raising our hand at the end. Hey, hey, here we are. Here you are. You showed up for yourself. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I want to thank you for showing up for yourself. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.